Welcome into episode 163 of the Padres East Village Times podcast. Dominic Stern and Sammy Benbo here for you. Uh, our editor, James Clark, could not make it with us this episode, but with some recent Padres news, and we have a guest planned for next week, uh, Sammy and I felt like we wanted to get a podcast out there for you guys so we could talk about the three players that the Padres have added because uh, they're pretty significant. But first, Sammy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. And it's uh, once again, a busy time in Padres land. It, it seems like the Padres are only quiet for maybe a couple weeks at a time during the off season, but it's always exciting being a fan of this team. And I'm definitely interested in talking about each of these players because I think each case is definitely pretty interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You got uh, a former Texas Ranger, which is, I guess where we'll start. Uh, multi-time silver slugger, multi-time all-star and Nelson Cruz signing today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, you may be seeing it or listening to this on Thursday, but he signed today uh, a one year, $1 million deal. Of course, he's a very old veteran, but one of the best clubhouse presence, uh, according to just about all accounts. Uh, what do you make of the signing of Nelson Cruz? Yeah, it's interesting because he's 41 right now. He's going to turn or he's, yeah, he's 41 right now. I think he's going to turn, I want to say 42 during the season, uh, or sorry, he is 42 right now. He'll turn he's 43, 43 in July, which, you know, he, I don't love it. I didn't love it when I first saw it, but then when the news broke that, you know, it's a one-year deal, a million dollars, he's basically making a little bit over the league minimum. <laughs> I think it's fine. I, I mean, obviously last year, some people argued that he could have gone off a cliff. I mean, he really like, broke down when he was in Washington, only hit 10 home runs, hit 230 OPS plus below league average for the first time, really, you know, in like 15 years, first time in a long season in his career. So I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. I think if he's like a part-time DH with Matt Carpenter, then I could make some sense of it, but like if he's playing, if he's getting more than like three or 400 at bats, or if he has to like play the field, then I think like something has gone wrong, you know? Yeah, no, uh, big caution flag. If Nelson Cruz steps on the field defensively, hasn't played right field since the 2018 season when he was in Seattle. And even then it was very, very sparingly, but I mean, it was a very productive designated hitter for a long time. Was an all-star or an MVP candidate uh, based on getting votes in top 10 MVP uh, each year from 2013 through 2020 was just an ultra productive hitter. And he's not that guy anymore. Like Sammy just mentioned uh, is coming off the worst season of his professional career. Once he established himself uh, in 2008 with the Rangers, he had a 169 OPS plus in 31 games. And ever since then uh, he had been a really good hitter only played 96 games in in 2007, but ever since then, been a really productive player, was a part of that Texas Rangers team that got to back-to-back World Series, was within a strike away, and of course, everyone has seen the video of David Freeze lining the ball over his head in right field, and uh, there's a, it's a folklore legend out there that uh, Nelson Cruz and Josh Hamilton were creeping in uh, with two strikes to try and uh, race each other to the mound. And I uh, really hope that's not what cost Nelson Cruz uh, a world series ring, but Nelson Cruz, I, like you mentioned for $1 million, I mean, I, I think he's getting paid $1 million for a reason. And he took a $1 million deal for a reason. It's because no one was offering him more money. 
And it's because he, at this point in his career, doesn't deserve to get paid more money. And he's going to be kind of that backup DH role, or maybe even like splitting time with Matt Carpenter at DH so that Carpenter could be playing first base a little bit. And you can move Cronenworth around the infield because we know he can play first, second, and short. I, I think it just gives the Padres more versatility in the infield. I, I think this has nothing to do with the outfield. And I think I can say that with certainty because now you can not have to put Carpenter at that designated hitter spot. You have a very experienced bat. And I think it's going to be really good for the Padres clubhouse. You talk about Nelson Cruz being the GM for the Dominican Republic uh, World Baseball Classic team that's upcoming in this March. He's got a very good relationship with Manny Machado. You know, he's probably got a pretty good relationship with Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto as well. So I, I think there's a lot of positives to this. And if he stinks, he can just ride the bench and come off the bench against lefties. And he's only making $1 million. So you're really Which is what not, he might do anyways. You yeah. Know, like he, right. he might come off the bench against lefties anyways. Like, but I do agree with the fact that like, I've been seeing a lot of like, you know, opening day, like mock lineups that have like Matt Carpenter in there, like facing Kyle Freeland, you know, a left-handed starter. And it just like, it didn't sit as well with me. Like, no, I, I don't know. I'm not ready to trust Carpenter for 500, 600 plate appearances like he got when he was with St. Louis a couple of years ago. So like it was just awful. Uh, right. And he was terrible. And and I'd like to I, I like the reason I like the crew signing is because, you know, they're bringing him in to be a platoon partner and they're going to try to just give him the best opportunities possible to succeed. Like they're not going to ask him to go out and fill an everyday role. They're not going to ask him to like hit in the middle of the order, you know, like when he does play against lefties or, you know, maybe against a righty that he has good numbers against, and you know, he'll, he'll hit sixth or seventh or eighth or somewhere down in the order where they're not going to ask him to produce a bunch. Um, yeah. And I think that that could be where he regains a little bit of form. I think that, he could be in line for positive regression with his home runs and a number of his counting stats. But again, he's going to turn 43. Like we mentioned, you can't really hope for too much regression just because of how old he is. Yeah. And let's transition over to the next player that the Padres signed. So they signed two guys a couple of days ago, both of them on uh, also very cheap major league deals. Let's start with Brent Honeywell jr. Uh, former pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays and Oakland Athletics. Brett Honeywell, former top prospect. Uh, I just pulled it up. He was at one point the number 12 prospect in baseball going into the 2018 season, which was a little below Fernando Tatis Jr., but also higher than Juan Soto, if you want to put that in perspective. Also a little bit higher than Mackenzie Gore, who started at 19 that year. So just putting it into perspective, what scouts and these prospect evaluators thought of Brent Honeywell, but unfortunately just hasn't been able to stay on the field. Uh, I actually got to talk to him in the clubhouse uh, with the Oakland athletics uh, leading up to last season at spring training. And he, he seemed really excited to finally like try and rebound from the injuries. He couldn't quite do it, but the Potters are going to give him a chance to go out there and potentially be healthy and try and compete for a major league rotation spot. I'm not expecting much out of Brent Honeywell. What are you expecting? 
Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I think he's someone who had a lot of upside. He's he's a little similar to Jay Groom, I think. I mean, not like to the exact extent, but to the point where like, you know, he's a first rounder. He kind of had a pretty good prospect pedigree. He was expected to kind of step into the to a prominent major league role when he was ready. And he kind of fell short of expectations and nobody really heard from him for a while. I mean, yeah, like you said, I don't think he's expected to fill a major league starting role if he steps into the rotation at some point, I think that's great. I think him like, like Wilmer font, like we talked about on the last podcast, I think his best value is going to be as a multi-inning reliever or someone who can eat innings when someone in the bullpen, you know, hits a wall or needs a break or something, you know, he's someone who can give you 15 innings, maybe like just to kind of get over that hump in July or August or whenever someone is, you know, hurt or what, whatever. Um, I was looking at his baseball reference page and it's, it's not terrible. I mean, obviously his, his major league stats were, you know, forgettable. He only threw four and a third um, major league innings with the Rays in 2021. And he gave up four runs. But when you look at his minor league stats, I mean, in his career as a minor leaguer, he's got an ERA just over three. He's made almost a hundred starts. He's thrown over 500 innings. He's got a nine and a half strikeouts per nine. I mean, he's really good at limiting his walks. Um, at, you know, at least in the beginning part of his career recently, he's gotten a little bit worse, but, um, and then the most interesting thing that I found was, uh, this winter he's playing in the Dominican winter league and he's, got an ERA below one. Yeah. I mean, you can't really put too much stock into Dominican winter league stats and like, we'll be the first to say that, but it's at least encouraging to see him having success somewhere, even though it's only like we said, 30 innings in a Dominican winter league where you don't really know what the competition is. Yeah. And he didn't pitch a ton in the minor leagues this past season. Cause he, once again, uh, was still recovering from uh, his Tommy John surgery, but yeah, I was going to point that out. 28 innings, 0.96 ERA. That's in seven outings, six starts. He only has 17 strikeouts, but this was a guy who had like a mid-90s fastball and multiple breaking balls to play off of it. And I'm not sure what the Padres saw in him because I haven't watched any of the film that uh, has been available from the Dominican Winter League and also from the minor leagues this past season when he only had 17 innings at AAA and three innings at a ball. So maybe the Padres saw something uh, with Ruben Niebla uh, as the pitching coach. You really got to hope that he saw what Honeywell was able to do in the minors before all these injuries really started to accrue and say, Hey, let, let's take a chance on Honeywell. And if it doesn't pan out, then uh, then we'll just move on to someone else. But lastly uh, is Adam Engel, Adam Engel, formerly with the Chicago White Sox, Sign another major league deal on the 40 man roster. Uh, Engel had a really good stretch from 2020 to 2021, but uh, this past year in 2022, couldn't really get it going. Uh, what are your thoughts on Adam Engel? Yeah, I think he's another depth option. He's kind of similar to the uh, position player version of Brent Honeywell, where you don't really expect that much of him. Although I, 
I do think he will get more playing time with the Padres in 2023 than Honeywell will. Like, I think it's reasonable to surmise that he could maybe not make the opening day roster, but I mean, with Tatis being out for the first 20 games, I could see him coming on as a fifth outfielder. I think it's important that he can play all three outfield positions. So if something does happen to Trent Grisham where he's ineffective or, you know, Tatis takes over center field and he gets hurt or something goes wrong, at least you have that other option there. You know, you, you have a guy like Adam Engel who can go get it. I mean, he's, he's got really good defensive metrics. He just can't really hit. He's a 225 career hitter. He's posted an OPS plus above hundred just twice in his career. And in neither of those seasons, did he have more than 150 plate appearances? So he's a below average hitter. Um, and, and I don't think anyone's expecting him to be even a league average hitter. I think if he gets hundred at bats with the Padres and he plays good defense and, you know, he hits 230 or 240, then sure. But I don't see him making too much of an impact. I think, again, it's, it's one of those cases where if something goes really wrong and he has to pick up a lot of innings, then, you know, the season's probably in jeopardy anyways. Yeah. He can play center field. I think that's what most, that's, what's most important. I, he reminds me very similarly to Jose Azokar. I mean, I think that comparison has been thrown around quite a bit ever since he signed with the San Diego Padres. And I think that's pretty valid right-hander really fast plays good defense has practically no pop. Uh, he's got 30 career home runs and he's been in the major league since 2017. I think that tells you what you need to know, but uh, the fact that Chicago kept putting him out there, I think tells you that he was trustworthy and I think that the Padres just are looking for outfield depth and some insurance because I don't think they wanted to be comfortable with having Jose Azokar being that lone guy who could be the backup center fielder in case Trent Grisham, like you mentioned, had another bad year or he gets hurt. Because you got to remember, 2021 was not an injury-filled season for Trent Grisham, but he missed the start of the season on the injured list. And then he went back to the injured list in around mid to late May, uh, if not June. And that's when the Padres really were throwing out jerks and profile in center field. And I wanted to pull my eyes out of my head. Uh, so ha- having multiple center fielders to back up your true center fielder is never a bad thing. And I don't want to say this puts pressure on Trent Grisham, but it's another center fielder in the building. And it's not a message of the Padres saying, Hey, like this guy can replace you, but he he's an option to do that if Trent Grisham doesn't uh, like regain his form or doesn't pick up on his 2022 season that was very abysmal at the plate. He'll be the first to admit that, and I think that just about everyone thinks that he's not that kind of hitter. And we'll see how much he can progress and uh, regress towards the mean in a positive way. Yeah. And I definitely think that this move, it it continues making the team like more athletic. I think that, or, you know, maybe not necessarily athletic, but, but versatile, I should say, because angle is a guy who can play all three defensive outfield positions. Azokar is kind of in that similar boat. You've got a lot of infielders who can move around and play a lot of different positions as the days get longer, as the season gets longer, as you get into the summertime, it becomes more and more important to give guys days off and to have these versatile guys who aren't just pigeonholed into one position. Like we've seen in Padres teams of the past where, you know, you have one guy playing one position for a hundred, 
160 games a year, it's kind of nice that you can say like, okay, let's put Hassan Kim at third base today and get Manny off his feet, or let's put Adam Engel in left field and we can give Juan Soto a, a day in the DH spot or something like that. Like, you know, you're, you won't be as heavily reliant on your main guys in July and August. So you can rest them up a little bit more ride them down the stretch. I, so if there's something else that you want to take from this, then that, that's something you could take is, you know, he, he does give him a little bit more depth. And I agree having another guy who can play center field and create some competition with Trent Grisham and, and Jose Azokar. I, I think it's a benefit because yeah, this job is still Grisham's to lose. And I mean, I sure hope he takes control of the reins this year and runs with it, but he's got to have someone there to push him. Right. And I think at times last year, even before, even before Azokar came in, it was like, it was kind of just his job. He was going to get 150 games regardless. Um, and not saying that's a detriment to what he was doing, not saying that's a reason for how he was playing, but it's nice to have competition. Yeah, always is. And I also don't think Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be in a position where he can control the outfield, especially with Juan Soto being one of your corner outfielders who really, really struggled last year. Uh, as I've said before, Juan Soto was actually really good defensively in the 2021 season. So one would hope that he can at least be just below average defensively in 2023, if not better, but uh, you don't need Fernando Tatis Jr. Taking on too much of a burden in center field while he's, still possibly transitioning to the outfield. That's what all accounts seem to be trending towards. Uh, but I also think that this is a move that ensures that, hey, even if Trent Grisham does go down with an injury or Zokar goes down with an injury, we don't have to put Tatis in center field. We can just put him out of right field. He can get used to balls coming off the bat there because it is different. I mean, you and I can both speak from that experience. Uh, just getting him consistency, I think would help, especially coming off of his surgeries and coming off of the suspension and missing the entire season. And you know that he's going to have a lot of outside voices. It might just be good to just lock him in at right field if that's what the Padres choose to do. Yeah, exactly. And I've been seeing a lot of the same thing kind of just all over, you know, whether it be Twitter or on TV or whatever, all over social media is, you know, they're, they're planning to try to lock him down on one position so they can do exactly that. They don't want him bouncing between shortstop and right field and center field and maybe second base or first base or none of that. I, it, it seems more and more likely like they're going to kind of put him in right field and kind of just let him get his bearings, let him get his feet under him. Cause like you said, I mean, it's going to be hard enough coming back from a shoulder surgery, multiple wrist surgeries, the suspension, there's going to be such a huge weight on his shoulders to carry just by coming back period. So I, I think it's helpful to have him in right field. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's no like guarantee that if he was asked to take over center field, he'd be able to do it. Like sure. He's a superstar athlete, but center field is definitely very demanding. It's a different position than shortstop. It's not something where you can just kind of run out there and be athletic and you can take over and win a gold glove. Like Trent Christian is there's, you know, there's definitely an art to it and it's something that kind of gets developed over time. But I think putting him in right field is probably going to be the best thing for him. Even if initially it's something that he's not going to be happy with. Cause I think we both know that he, like if he had his preference, he'd be a shortstop this year. Yeah. He'd be playing at shortstop, but um, you know, that's just if not the Padres had their preference. He would have played 150 games last year. Exactly. That's not yeah. what happened. 
and he lost some, if not all of his leverage in saying, Hey, I'm a shortstop. I hated the outfield. Do not put me on the outfield. So that'll be something to monitor. I mean, we'll, we'll get a pretty good idea when the players report to spring training in just over a little bit, over a month of where these guys are actually going to be playing. I mean, they they could keep one Soto out in right field and put Tatis in left. I think that would be kind of a waste of Fernando Tatis Jr.'s arm because mm-hmm. uh, I, I would love to see him throw out runners trying to go first to third mm-hmm. or run a ball down in the corner, do a nice little spin move hit mm-hmm. Ha-Sung Kim or Jake Cronenworth in the chest on just an absolute laser and try and gun someone trying to sneak a double into a triple. So I think putting him in right field would be the best case. And I don't want to say just breaking news right now, but I'm not sure if you uh, have been checking Twitter over the last couple of minutes, but Dennis Lynn just tweeted out that uh, there is a new longest tenured Padre now, officially with Will Myers leaving the Reds, is Craig Stammen is returning on a minor league deal with the San Diego Padres. I don't know if you can really consider him the longest tenured Padre, but he has been around for quite some time with the Padres uh, minor league deal. It'll be a seventh spring training uh, with the Padres. Uh, what do you think of bringing Craig Stammen back on a minor league deal? No, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. If you didn't see that tweet just now. Yeah, no, I, I did see it. it. And I don't know, it's a minor league deal. It's not right. something that it doesn't really matter. Like if he performs and he can eat up some innings in the bullpen in the middle of the later half of the season. Sure. But I think the team has finally kind of accepted now, like his role and what he can and can't bring. Um, I don't, yeah. I mean, I was pretty much against signing him to a multi-year deal whenever that happened, like two, three years ago, whatnot. Um, I think we kind of, we kind of finally saw the age start to creep up on him this past yeah. year, especially in the past, like the past few years before that, like he had a couple like sneaky good years outside of 2020, but he had a lot, like he performed a lot better than a lot of people were giving him credit for. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely last year he was more of a liability than an asset and people definitely saw that. Um, and so a minor league deal is fine. Um, if he eats up some innings, fine. And, you know, it's fine. It's not something that's going to move the needle really hardly at all, but it's something that can just provide depth. And this is kind of the period of the off season where you're looking for bargain deals or you're looking for guys who can fill a 40 man spot or, or just add a little bit of depth. Yeah. I'm going to look at his fan graphs page because I mean, it just felt like watching Craig Stammen every single time it felt like his breaking ball just lost all of its effectiveness because mm-hmm. his fastball moves a good amount and he gets a lot of ground balls. I mean, that's what happens when you're a sinker baller. But as I'm pulling up the fan graphs page right now, um, that's not giving me the information that I'm wanting. Uh, there's... But I mean, he had, he had productive seasons. I mean, oh, 88 innings, an ERA just over three, like 2019, pretty much the same thing. ERA just over three, another 80 innings. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that like I didn't even recognize how many innings he threw in a given season. Like he definitely was kind of like that long guy. He's like, very dependable. Who during the and during those bad Padres teams too, he like he pitched in some high leverage innings. He was kind of like a seventh or eighth inning guy. Never really got saves, but he was. You know, he was, he was, yeah, he's dependable. He's a reliable guy. They count on for 70 or 80 innings a year. And yeah. Yeah. I just, I found the information. His fastball is barely got some positive run value on fan graphs. 
slider, not good. Cutter, really bad. Curveball, not good. Change up, which I never watch him throw change ups. Uh, not very good. That's why he's on a minor league deal. You touched on it. It it's not going to hurt the Padres if he's up there. You really just got to hope that hey, it's because maybe a couple of relievers are on the ten day shelf, dealing with some soreness, and he's just up there because he can eat innings. That's what he's always done for the San Diego Padres, and I think it's cool that he's back. It seemed like everyone within the organization and on the team loved him. Uh, they kind of called him the dad, uh, the grandpa of the team. And I, I can see why. I mean, he's really old at this point. But bringing him in on minor league deal, that's fine. I'm honestly kind of surprised that he ain't signed somewhere else for like $1 or $2 million, knowing that he can give you some good innings. And also considering like he doesn't really have much to gain signing a minor league contract. Uh, but he clearly just wants to be with the Potters organization. He'll surely be in El Paso unless he somehow sneaks his way onto the major league roster, which... I wouldn't be surprised if he finds some stupid way to get onto the major league roster by pitching really well in spring training and the Potters are like, Oh, let, let's take this. But yeah, minor league deal, bring him on, uh, keep him in the organization. He could be a good mentor to some people in spring training and also to some of the starting pitchers that are going to start the season in El Paso. Inevitably, who knows where Ryan Weathers, Reese Kinnair or Jake room are going to be starting the season. Who knows where Jackson Wolf or some of the other young Padres starting pitchers who are trying to push their way up the prospect rankings are going to be starting and Craig Stamen can absolutely help those guys out. So I think this is a massive win for the Padres to get him on a minor league contract. I mean, this is just my immediate thought. He's not going to contribute much to the major league level. Yeah, but it is admirable what you were saying that the fact that he was willing to take a minor league deal at this age just so he could be with the organization that it seems like he most wants to be with. Um, Cause I definitely think that there is a, you know, bottom feeding team or like a last place team, a team that's not going to win a lot of games that would take him on and do exactly what you said, put him in the bullpen, have him mentor their young starting pitchers or just, you know, be that kind of glue guy in general. But he, he definitely did seem like a clubhouse favorite and, you know, great. Have him in the dugout in the postseason, and, you know, let him, let him hang out with the guys, let him spread his influence. I, I, he seems to be like a great guy. I mean, obviously we don't know him personally, but he seems to be someone who can mentor those young players in his extensive major league service. Yeah. I got to talk to him once when I was on the field in the 2019 season. And I was like, man, the Potters are going to be so good next year. And he's like, what about this year? And I'm like, well, you know, we're, we're doing all right this year. And then after that, the season just like fell apart. He's, he's believed in the Padres. That, that that's what I have taken away from uh, that, like two minute conversation I had with Craig Stammen. He believes in the Padres. And I think that couldn't be more evident than him signing a minor league contract with the Padres. Uh, there's one more thing where this has been a short episode and uh, it's not going to drag on that much longer, but the Padres, they uh, announced details for fan fest earlier this morning. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. will be there. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, you and I aren't going to be there because neither of us are in San Diego. But what are your thoughts on Fernando Tatis Jr. getting to really interact with the fans for the first time since, uh, I mean, really the 2021 season? 
I think it's good. And like, if you look at the lineup, like pretty much all of the big name Padres players are going to be there. Like almost anyone of note is going to be there. Like Tatis is going to be there. Manny's going to be there. Soto's going to be there. Bogarts, all those guys. Um, I, I think it's going to be good for him though, to interact with the fans in a little bit of a more casual setting. Like this is going to be the one fan base that actually will try to prop him up and will believe in him. Cause he's going to get a lot of vitriol from all the other 29 stadiums in the MLB this year. Um, it, it's going to be nice for him to know that he at least has some people in his corner, whether that, you know, cause it, it's going to get difficult for him, whether he wants to admit it or not, it, it's going to be difficult to hear what he's probably going to hear in visiting stadiums all throughout the rest of this season and next season, however long um, it, it will be good for him though. I think, I, I think it'll be cool for the fans to see him too. Everyone's going to wish him well, send him off to spring training on the right foot. And I guess one more note that, we might not have covered that people probably would have seen by now. If you're listening to this is the fact that he has been cleared uh, to resume mm -hmm. baseball yeah. activities as of this week. And so he's in San Diego. It looked like there's been some like pictures of him in San Diego. Um, and so he's cleared to swing. It sounds like cleared to field ground balls, fly balls, whatever. Um, they're kind of taking the reins off of him. And so hopefully he can ramp up in like the next month or so, so he can kind of hit the ground running for spring training. And he was working out with Joe Musgrove doing the, the swimming that. stuff. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome that teammates are working out with him. I mean, it's a good sign. Uh, yeah. There's really no other way to look at that other than the fact that it's a good sign. We we talked about it with Dan Zaborski and just ourselves together. I, I think it's going to be hard to like expect him to have those MVP finalist seasons that he had in well, he was fourth place in 2020 and then third place in 2021. I, I I would be shocked if that happens, especially considering the fact that he's guaranteed to miss 20 games. But uh, the fact that he's cleared baseball and he can at least get some practices going before he goes to spring training, I think that's going to help him out. So that way he's not just getting thrust in, like, say, week two. All of a sudden he gets cleared and then he's got to really ramp it up. I, I think it's great. And I think it's also cool that he's going to be with the fans, albeit his first road game. So, uh, I mean, like, I'm obviously like still frustrated with uh, the way that the 2022 season went for him, but like, I'm not going to boo him and I'm going to be like defending him to the opposing fans who are certainly going to be booing him. And I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to be walking out there with uh, either Padres or San Diego on the front. And if you're a Padres fan and you're, you're from San Diego, you're going to, be cheering him on because if he does well, the team does well and that's what he needs. And that's what the team needs. So uh, I think that him being a fan fest him being cleared for baseball activity is just fantastic news. Rest of the players that are going to be there, uh, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Xander Bogarts, Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, Jake Cronenworth, Josh Hader, Nick Martinez, Robert Suarez, Tim Hill, and Bob Melvin. So no Ha-Sung Kim, no Blake Snell. Those are kind of the big guys that aren't going to be there. I guess Seth Lugo, if you want to throw him in there as well, but I, I'm not going to read that much into it. Uh, we know Padres Twitter is talking a lot about Ha Sung Kim being traded. Uh, I don't really think that's going to happen, but with the signing of Nelson Cruz today, the Padres do have to clear up a 40 man roster spot. So you could look at the fact that Cronenworth and Kim aren't listed right now. They might be listed in a couple of weeks if 
the Padres are throwing their names out in trade talks. Also, no Trent Grisham on there. Also worth noting. So those three guys that Padres fans have kind of been talking about in trade rumors, they're the ones that aren't there for FanFest. It's interesting. I don't think there's – you can't read into it too much, obviously. No. But I, I, I'd say odds are none of them get traded before opening day. But then again, if Hassan Kim gets traded in the next week or so, it wouldn't shock me. It's it would be a little surprising, but you have to consider anything when you're trying to win a World Series. But I, I do think that they're going to roll with this roster as it's currently constructed going into the season and then reevaluate as the season goes on and especially into trade deadline season in July. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the players you're looking at that could be getting the boot from the 40 man roster, Brandon Dixon or Matthew Batten. Uh, those are guys that had their cup of coffee and wouldn't really hurt the Potters if they're removed from the roster. You got anything else you want to add before we wrap up this very short uh, episode 163 of the Potters East Village Times podcast? Yeah, I don't have much. I, I think uh, we're both kind of excited to get things up and running. Spring training is just about a month away. Um, so keep checking us out on the East Village Times for articles and coverage surrounding the San Diego Padres and a bunch of other San Diego sports teams as well. Um, you know, we're trying to do the best job we can covering everything around San Diego sports as always, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to get spring training started and get the season rolling. I think it's going to be a very exciting season. Yeah. And I'm excited to hopefully be there quite a bit, possibly in the locker room for uh, EVT or for Cronkite news here at Arizona state in the journalism school here. Uh, but thank you all for tuning in to the Padres East Village Times podcast, episode 163. Make sure to check out Sammy and I on Twitter, Dominic Stern, Sammy Benbo. Make sure to follow our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That way you don't miss another episode. And also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're watching us on YouTube. Thank you for tuning in on YouTube. Uh, we've been starting to post our recent podcasts there. Uh, if you like watching the video content, let us know, drop a thumbs up. Uh, if you don't like watching us, that's fine. If you're just sticking with the good old podcast, that's also fantastic as well. We thank you all truly for listening. And like I mentioned earlier, we have a guest on our next podcast. I'm not going to reveal who the guest is, but just know that he is a former opening day starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres, which, uh, I'm really excited to bring him on and see what he thinks about this current team. Uh, any of like some funny stories uh, that are, of course, he can talk about, about playing for the San Diego Padres, I think would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to talk with this guest. It should be a good experience and and hopefully he can shed a little bit of light on this year's team. Yeah. James will be back because he's of course the, the main communicator with this podcast guest. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you all for tuning in. Once again, follow, subscribe to our podcast. How you won't miss our next episode. This has been episode 163 of the Potters East Village Times podcast.